Welcome to First Generation Burden, a podcast dedicated to immigrants and the creative community. My name is Rich Tu and I'm your host. We have a really awesome conversation today with CG artist and also designer, creative thinker, problem solver, awesome human being, Haruko Hayakawa. We're recording today at Canal Street Radio, Canal Street Market. In our conversation with Haruko, we talk about her upbringing in Connecticut as first generation uh, Japanese American, and also her, her journey into the creative community. And also also how she found her way at SVA and found her way into the creative world as a graphic designer and also uh, even navigating branding, identity, moving into freelance. We talk through a lot of different topics. And also we talk about her journey into Web3 and also how she loves to really sink her teeth into the tech of it all. It's a really fun conversation. Can't wait for y'all to listen to it. That said, without further ado, Here's our chat with Haruko Hayakawa. Yeah, the last time I went there, um, I was with Vector Dao. We had done a Noun Style project with them, and they ordered like Wagyu beef. Oh, really? Like the whole works. It was amazing. It's I really want to talk good. about your your experience in Web three and NFTs and everything. Course, I, know, yeah. I know you did the uh, women women of uh, world, NFTs. Oh, no, world, world of, of women. women yeah, yeah, world of women. Uh, world of women NFTs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, you know, I I entered like Web3 NFT world end of last year. Yeah. Um, I did a drop with this digital art collective called Depthcore. They were really big in the early 2000s. I'm going to like expose exactly how nerdy I am. Yeah. But uh, they kind of had a a resurgence, I think, recently, and they did a drop on Nifty Gateway. And that was my very first sort of uh, exposure into it. And then I hopped on the whole Twitter train just exploring the space and world of women reached out and they said you know we're doing this um we're dropping some work in you know our holders wallets um do you want to do something in this like blue themed world and i i you know i wasn't really sure what i was getting myself into so i agreed and um it's been a really interesting experience from there um i was able to you know have an opportunity to do things with like gamestop and um I'm trying to think. Nouns Dow, which is another big yeah. one. We did. They kind of did this uh, takeover of uh, wheat pastings in like Chinatown and Times Square and Williamsburg during NFT NYC, and yeah. it was a scavenger hunt. So, my work and a bunch of others like Shauna X, and yeah. you know, there's a bunch of really talented creatives, um, Eric Hu, Adam Ho, um, yeah. and many, many more. And our work was printed really large, and there's a QR code, and that's how you minted it. And um, it's it's interesting it's it's i'm exploring kind of this new medium and way of doing artwork that um i think there's so much unknown in it but i think it's it's important to sometimes like dabble in these sort of new things and see where it goes so yeah if anything just for not just your own curiosity but also in order to you know rethink like the way you engage with the tools your own process and also what the what your inputs are and what your outputs end up being. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. yeah. We're going real deep, real fast. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to start a little bit about the, at the beginning. Of course. Haruko, this is amazing. Thank you so much for coming through. Yeah, of course. We're Canal Street Market uh, and Canal Street Radio. I don't think, I don't know if it's listening part anymore. I think it's Canal Street Radio primary. Yeah. Uh, but thank you for joining us over at First Generation Burden. I'd love to start this conversation the way we start every uh, one of them is uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from, a little bit about your beginning of your journey yeah um oh, yeah, just so come up right up on the microphone 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm a CG artist. I'm also a creative director. Um, I'm, you know, I'm originally from Connecticut. I came here in 2007 to go to SVA, and I just, I haven't left. Um, and yeah, I, I just love doing, you know, sort of CG digital artwork, and that's kind of my thing at the moment. Yeah, you grew up in Connecticut. Were you born in Connecticut? Um, I was born in New York City, but I grew up in Connecticut, um, both, you know, all the way up to high school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about your family? Like, what were they doing? What was, what your parents do? I'd love to hear a little bit about upbringing. Yeah. So my um, my parents are from Japan, um, and they came over here because my dad uh, he was working at a company that sent him over to do his MBA at Northwestern, and that's how my family came here. And I think they originally wanted to move back when I was about three, but I think my my father like the opportunities that he had in the States. So we stayed here and I grew up in Connecticut. Um, and yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, my, my mom was a stay at home mom, but she also does abstract fine art and painting um, at the time, not so much anymore. And my dad um, works in investment banking. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and I grew up in Connecticut. I was just like one of maybe three Asians in my school. So, it, you know, I, it was an interesting way to grow up, I think. And I think I had a, I had a lot of sort of identity things that I, I, I think I had to get comfortable with from childhood that mm. um, play a big role in sort of the work that I do now. Yeah. Um, were you always creative when you were, what was your earliest, uh, well, did your parents support that? Were they uh, about it and like, did they, and also Jeff siblings like I, w I want to hear about like inspiration points mm -hmm. when you were yeah so a young I, I have an older brother um, and I've always been sort of in the creative space I love sort of sketching and drawing as a kid and my brother was really into computers and technology and you know Asian parents love when you know you have like a child that maybe is gonna go into like engineering or something and that's definitely the situation with him and um, so I, as a kid, I, I, was ex I, I was exposed to like computers and technology and all sorts of things. So when I was younger, I started taking like a digital art course when I was in middle school. So we we're learning things like Photoshop and Quark and things like that. And then I wanted to learn more. I just really enjoyed this, you know, like digital artwork and, and things like that. And I started spending a lot of time on the internet, like on forums and IRC and things like that, um, looking for tutorials. And I started randomly learning this program called Bryce. And it's an old school 3D huh. landscaping program. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. No, I've never heard of that. Um, I'm usually really good with picking up like OG digital tools. Yeah. It's it's for landscaping, and at the time, I just like found all these tutorials on how to do what was called at the time 3D abstract work. So it's these like reflective, shiny kind of, I don't know, they're very chromey kind of stuff, and I just fell in love with it, and I wanted to learn more. But there was just so little resources on how to learn 3D. Um, so what I used to do was. Were you I, in high school at the time? I was in middle school at the time. This was around the time I was 13. Whoa. 
Yeah, like I've been I've I've been doing Photoshop and things like that for a very very long time. Yeah. Um, Did you teach yourself Photoshop? Yeah, I taught myself Photoshop. I taught myself Photoshop too. Yeah, it's such a great. It's just like such a fun program, and it allowed me to just like make whatever the heck I wanted. And um, I yeah, and it, it I I really had a love that kind of grew from there. So, I started being on these websites like DeviantArt, Shadowness. Um, I used to like admin. These are like really deep early two thousands like digital art kind of stuff. And um, I, I taught myself Cinema 4D when I was a, when I was 13, and that's sort of I, I do a lot of 3D now. But it all started at this age and time in my life where um, I became obsessed with <laughs> I became obsessed with creating my own artwork and illustrations, and that's how that's kind of what set all of this off for me and where I am now with my career. Yeah, no, that's amazing to hear. And do your parents know what you do? Yeah, I mean, sort of. So my mom has her, she did her master's in fine arts. So uh, okay. she was oh, yes, yes, yes. abstract painting and things like that. So I grew up around that, um, going to museums and going to galleries and things like that. But I don't think my dad really understands what I do. Yeah. Um, and even sometimes, I don't even think my mother really understands what I do. Like she might think that my next promotion is to become a project manager. And I'm kind of like, <laughs> nobody should allow me to project manage anything. Um, <laughs> So they, but they've always been very supportive. You know, they're supportive of me going to art school. I think, you know, I, I wasn't the most academic kid, but I was always very into art and things like that. And they probably just felt like, oh, well, she needs to go to art school. Like, yeah. what the heck else is she going to do with her life? Right. So they were very supportive in me sort of going off and doing what I do. And they don't understand it, but they're like, oh, this is so great. Like, cool. Uh, so when you get, when you get to SVA... Mm-hmm. What was it like coming to New York and then, you know, moving into the city from Connecticut? Like, was that a bit of a, how much of a shift was that for you? That was a gigantic shift. Um, I initially went to SVA to do 3D, like video game CG, yeah. Pixar styled stuff. Um, and, you know, when I was younger, this is like a funny story. <laughs> Growing up in Connecticut, yeah. I wouldn't go by Haruko. Haruko is my legal first name, but um, my teachers couldn't pronounce it so it was like one of those things where you go to roll call and then they'll go they'll like pause before they say my name so I actually went by Margaret for a very long time it was like this American given name that I had so kind of a not it's not even anglicized it's just like a totally different American name totally different American name and I always hated it but when I came to New York City to go to SVA wait can I ask like how did the name get to you was it just someone gave that to you or did your yeah. I'm not sure. I think there's something within my mom's family where one of her relatives was in in England for a while and was given that name. Yeah, so I'm not really sure where that came from, but I think my mother's side is like, oh, it's such a proper, great name. We'll call you Margaret. So I went by <laughs> Margaret for a really long time. And then when I first came to the city, I, I was just amazed by the amount of diversity that there, you know, diversity and um, initially when you're, you know, you're taking attendance in class, I had Margaret, I had Haruko, Margaret Hayakawa on my sort of as my name and my teachers, I would just say, oh, call me Margaret. And my teachers would say, no, is your name Haruko? And I was like, yeah, it's Haruko. So I had a bit of this like, oh. almost like JLo name change moment once I was in college where I started going by Haruko more because it felt yeah. more like me. Yeah. And um, I think I started just embracing being Japanese American yeah. from that point on in my life. Did, did it feel like your identity wasn't 
like necessarily coming to the forefront before? Like, did it, did you think it was, I don't know. And I'm not saying taking it for granted because sometimes I felt like, should I come forth with my identity or should I not? You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. always been about like, what layer does it sit within the full package? Mm-hmm. I think I had just started to become a little bit more curious about who I am and where I come from. And a lot of this was due to, um, so from middle school up until right before high school, I had been in school like locally um, near my parent, like we would commute to school. And then for high school, I went to boarding school. So I left home around 14 and um, I went to a different boarding school and there was a lot of- where. Um, It was in New Milford, Connecticut. It's called Canterbury School, and they had a really great art program. Was it all girls, co-ed? It was co-ed. And they had a big Korean student population as well as international students from all over Europe and Hong Kong and um, other countries. And I think that's when I began to explore my identity a little bit more because I think before when I was younger, I didn't want to be Asian. You know, I wanted, I just, I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. And then all of a sudden when I started going to high schools around these, these, um, these kids, these like really cool Korean kids. And I thought, wow, they're like, they're cool. They, they're dressed well and they're really comfortable with themselves. And I think that helped me become a little bit more open to myself and where I come from. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So I guess coming to SVA, that felt like it was a bit of a, yeah, kind of a, an acknowledgement, right? Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So uh, when you come to SVA, like what, what do you think your, your path is going to be? Like, th- was it, it feels like an expansion of the tools and also kind of like, you know, kind of drilling down to a process. Like what were you, what were you picking up and what did you want to become? Well, I had gone to SVA being quite um, experienced in 3D modeling and things like that. I had been doing it since I was 13, so I had quite a few years of just making my own work. But once I went to school, I wasn't sure if I really liked what commercial 3D was at the time. I think what a lot of students wanted to do was you know, work at these VFX houses, right. go to Pixar, things like that. And I just knew I didn't want to do that, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was in this conundrum where I started not always attending class because I just didn't have a sort of idea of what my path forward was. So while I was learning things like Maya and I was expanding my tool set and all of that, I I felt really lost um, in those years mm-hmm. as VA. So I ended up dropping out of the 3D CG major. It was this thing that, you know, I'd spent all my middle yeah. school years so obsessed with, but it all sort of fell apart and I didn't know what to do. So I dropped out. I took a semester off. I'd been interning in editorial, I think, at People Style Watch magazine. Okay. And interning in editorial in what capacity? I was working on their sort of media buy team. It wasn't necessarily creative. It was more on the marketing side of their business, doing advertorials and working with brands to advertise in the magazine itself. Got it. Um, And I, yeah, I... I didn't know what to do, but I knew that my parents would kill me if I just dropped out of college and I didn't <laughs> get a degree. So I switched into graphic design and yeah. I did find a real love for graphic design and creating brand systems and thinking about art direction. So I finished at SVA and I went into advertising. Oh, gotcha. So, wow. Yeah, that's a full, like, robust situation over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the state of the the digital art program at the time? I, I, I remember when I got my... MFA, mm-hmm. and this was around ooh 2006, 
2006, 2007 is when I applied. Um, and then we had um, a little get together. There was a digital art program that had like a ton of people. And it was, yeah, very much like what you're saying, kind of geared towards 3D houses, visualization, very much for film, television, but in that way, hadn't really kind of broken down to a full pipeline of like media and cross-platform, right? Of course, it was like very early days. Um, I think that they were still trying to understand where the program sat within conjunction of the other programs because mm -hmm. it's, um, it's uh, kind of process-oriented at the time, but it wasn't roped into a uh, like a, an, an authorship type of program, you know? Uh, but now it feels like they've really they've really built it out in like such an amazing way. I think so. And I think there's a lot of great students coming out of both programs. Yeah. I think as far as the graphic design program goes, it was great. I learned a lot. I Absolutely. barely slept through art school, to be honest. <laughs> it was very tough. It, and um, they would do this thing at the end of the year where you have portfolio review and you kind of get oh, ranked totally. within your, your class, which is like really difficult to deal with sometimes. So stressful. Super stressful. But I think as hard as that was, it made me a lot more resilient and it forced me to learn faster and, you know, push my work a lot more so overall i think svs graphic design program it's amazing it's really good it's yeah. tough so it's just know what you're getting yourself into no totally i think i might teach in the program next year actually oh nice yeah with gail anderson i did you have gail while you were there no but she's she's an icon in the program yeah absolutely she yeah she took over for richard wilde mm -hmm. and then she reached out not too long ago and uh, yeah i think we're gonna do it it's gonna be like a year from now i think mm -hmm. um so i have some time i've i've been flirting with the idea of teaching coming back to teaching specifically and it's it's always a bandwidth issue and also you know kind of uh, per asking yourself the question like do you have the patience to do this as well because it takes a lot of time on, on both sides what are you teaching that's a great question <laughs> i'm so glad you're asking <laughs> I, I think it's going to be uh, a survey style class that uh, it's a bit of an open curriculum. Um, Paul Sayre also teaches a similar class where it's like, not do whatever the hell you want, but more of a let's explore. Mm -hmm. And um, it's gonna be about process and not necessarily about problem solving. Um, so that's what I'm gonna do. I know that was like the vaguest answer ever. <laughs> but I think those are important things to learn. I think yeah. while you're a student in school, sometimes you're so obsessed with making things that look yeah. cool but not understanding maybe the greater process and how that plays in on a commercial project in the real world or yeah. even understanding your own creative process i think that actually took me about like eight years to figure out for myself working yeah. professionally for sure yeah. for sure for sure yeah it's one of those honors classes where i think like 20 kids are going to be in there maybe like 15 kids oh nice yeah for like i think third years that's cool. I really want to teach at some point. It's the yeah. same thing for me. Um, bandwidth issue. Yeah. Um, I know it's going to take a lot of time. Kid, the students always want to ask you a lot of questions. And you want to give them that time because yeah. they want to learn. Yeah. But I need to find the right moment, I think. Yeah. No, I hear you. So I just want to jump forward a little bit. Like, you've done so much work. How do you land on your current style? Like, how do, how do you also approach the collaborations that you become a part of? I, my, my approach and my style is so influenced by all of my work experience. So yeah. I've worked in advertising. I've worked in-house for food brands like Chobani. That's how I learned 
about food photography and art direction to begin with. And I took some of that. And then I was freelance in my mid-20s and I started dabbling in food styling and I got to work on food styling things for Panera Bread. So there's a heavy influence of still life photography and, and styling that plays into my CG work. Um, so I'm really inspired by that. And then, you know, when it comes to the way I make things, I just like I'm like attracted to a certain look and a feeling while I'm working. Like my work isn't so analytical. There's something that's very emotional about it. I, I just know when something feels right and I just follow that feeling yeah. and that energy. And that's how I produce a lot of my work. And as far as the collaborations that I've done, um, I've taken, I take a lot of experience just from my work experience working yeah. in agencies. When uh, a brand approaches me, I really like to make sure that we have deliverables figured out and art direction i love to sketch and do cg i do yeah. a little bit of a mixture of both and um i just love the energy of collaboration so it's really about you know what is the client looking to do and what's my lens what's my perspective on their goals and this yeah. sort of like visuals they're trying to create and i just work back and forth with a client to create something that you know is valuable to them and that i really love at the same time as well what were some of your earliest projects when you're just starting out for cg yeah um, well, this is the first year that I've done CG full time. Actually, okay. last year I was still doing graphic design and maybe CG was only 30% of the sort of, uh, of my income actually. Um, some of my, I think the very first paid CG project was, um, I don't know if you know Kapono Chung, but he has a brand, a Hawaiian skincare brand called Koa and he had reached out. He had saw a lot of my personal CG work and he yeah. said, Hey, we're launching this new product. Can you can you take our products and imagine it in this modern Asian bathhouse? And I was like, hell yeah, I can. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so we created like the products and we placed them on rippling water and in like a Japanese sculpted garden and literally in a bathhouse and things like that. And it was so fun. Yeah. Um, wow. So wait. So when you were doing graphic design, they do. How do you how do you contextualize the two? You know, between graphic design, CG, I know that they're definitely not the same, but I think for our listeners, because you do have a lot of like students here, mm -hmm. is like I think it's a it's good to understand how um, creative direction, because you are a creative director, uh, lives within the totality of the system. Let's say then CG, which is very much a uh, it's very much a uh, pipeline that's connected into a mm -hmm. graphic design thought and a system based thought. How do you differentiate um, those things? Well, for me, graphic design, I, so I worked in branding. I was doing yeah. identity and brand systems for many years in my career before I made the switch. And they, they work together, I think, in different ways. So when I worked in branding, I was doing logos and then how the right. graphic systems work. And then along with the graphic systems comes illustration, comes yep. photography and style and things like that. And I've always been obsessed with what is how does your product look like so i used to pull a lot of like photography imagery and be like oh it should be placed like this or in this sort of set and then i've just ha due to having this photo background and things like that i wanted to just make it for myself yeah i wanted to make how the literally make how the product looks and how it lives and that's how i transitioned over into CG and I think the way it plays into each other is when I create these CG imagery and product visualizations and all of that they're informed by the brand itself whether right. it's 
the propping or conceptually what they're trying to get across and right. things like that. So it all plays within each other. Like as a CG product viz, I am expressing something about the brand. Yeah. So it's not directly correlated to me. It's just one aspect of an entire brand, I think. Yeah. Do you like being at this space more than being in the um, in the identity kind of system thought? Space. At, in this at this phase of my life, yes, I love creating imagery yeah. and, exp and something expressive rather than doing more of the high level work of building a brand and what it stands for and then how these these brand systems come to life. I love just making imagery and like yeah. visuals. Do you think you're more of an artist? Yeah, and I think it's it, it's taken me a really long time to be comfortable with that for yeah. some reason. I, for a long long time, I've always felt like. I should be, I shouldn't be an artist. I am a commercial creative director. Yeah. I do systems and build brands, but I think the older I get, the less I, the, the more tapped in I am and the less I'm focusing on what I think I should be doing, I'm really listening to what I actually want to do. So I would definitely consider myself a little bit more of an artist in, in the sense that, you know, I, I'm no longer building these brands and systems. I'm really just creating art and visuals now. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny because I think a lot about myself and also, uh, you know, what where my head lives when it comes to uh, some sort of a system-based thought where essentially you are a steward of a brand, mm -hmm. you know, and you're helping build out being the voice of the brand or building out the voice of the brand from the inside, or at least as a close collaborator. And then the artistic side where I'm interpreting a brand through my own lens and like my voice becomes a much larger piece of the puzzle, right? Right. And I, it oftentimes feels like there's just two versions of myself that have to creatively wrestle to the ground. I feel good at both of them, but I'm now realizing like, do I want to just combine my left and right brain? Mm-hmm. You totally. know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you feel the same way. Sort of. I don't know. I, I just... I think for me, when it comes to just like my art and and everything I've done, I think in my entire career, I've just so much focused on these things that I love and enjoy and I just like tap into that. So I just think right now doing the visuals and seeing myself a little bit more as an artist is the thing. And then maybe yeah. I'm going to enter another season in my life where enter know, another I'm, season season in my life where I'm like, oh, I want to do more of the creative direction and the overall building of a brand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how do you find the time? How was your how's your life changed now that you've like started to really enter like a, a artistic iteration of your output? I'm a stickler just for a creative practice. Um, so what that looks like, I, I'm a big believer that you have to be creating the work that you want more of and you have to make time for it. It has to be a priority or else it's not going to happen. So the way that I make that happen for myself is I figured out in what time of the day my brain is sharpest and it's yeah. the most creative. It's first thing in the morning. So I always I get up very early in the morning. I'll just you know meditate or whatever drink caffeine and then I do creative work personal work whether that's doing a course tutorials exploring something doing something experimental and I'll do that for about two to three hours in the morning before I even start my client work so I always make my personal work and my vision and what I want to mm. be doing with my career priority first and that yeah. allows me to 
explore new styles, tighten up my skills. I'm a big believer in like craft when it comes to things like 3D and CG. So it's constant practice and modeling, texturing, learning the software, all of these things. So I, I focus on that and allow that to be the priority before I even start client work. And that is the only way that I can make time to build this new portfolio. Like I've switched over from CG. It's taken me three years now. And the only way that I've done it is every single day to have this sort of routine. So I'm, while I'm paying my bills with my client work and all of that, I'm yeah. always keeping myself in mind and what I really want with yeah. my life and with my creative vision. I always keep that in priority. And I always think about, you know, what can I do that's going to move the needle forward? I think we live, life is so noisy, but you really have to tap into creatively, what can I do to push my portfolio into the right direction or push my creative work in the right direction. So that's how I find time and that's how I run my day. And it's the only way that I can do all this work or else, you know, like I'm going to just feel like there, there aren't enough hours in the day. Yeah. I remember like the last time we saw each other, Mm -hmm. we did that, uh, that panel discussion over at uh, FIT for Hairfest with Tim and also Michelle Moy. And uh, you said something that resonated with me about, waking up early mm-hmm. and also at this point of your life this age in your life like it's yeah the early hours are when like let's prepare the the brain um and then like the rest of the day you know can like kind of you know fall into place do you how are you protecting your mental health within all this time like what what does that look like for you it is hard i'm it's gonna be hard. real with you it is so hard um i have to it's so easy for me to just be really obsessed with what I'm working on. And then I don't even think about the fact that I'm so tired and I like, I need sleep or I need to take a break or I'm going to burn myself the fuck out. Like I, you know, it's things like that. So I have to take time to sometimes it's actually getting to a point now where my body I think is telling me to stop. So I've always had like anxiety issues and sometimes I get anxiety attacks. And a lot of it I think is because I'm so hooked on something I'm working on that I'm not listening to my body to, I don't know, drink water, (laughs) relax, get some sleep, things like that. So I think for me, I have to do meditation to just ground myself and stop listening to my brain that likes to race like a mile a minute. Yeah. Um, I have to take time to meditate so I can just kind of listen and I can tap in and be like, what do I need? Am I okay? Yeah. Um, do, do I need to not work today? I think yeah. that's the one thing I, the beauty of being self-employed is that I can take days off like that. So sometime midweek, I'll sometimes be like, it's a Wednesday. I'm not going to work today because I'm really tired. I'm, or I'm anxious. I'm stressed out, whatever it is. And then I'll work instead later one night or maybe I'll work one day on uh, maybe Sundays. Sundays are my favorite day to work, actually. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So I try and take my take care of myself in that way. Um, big fan of therapy as well, if it's needed. I think, you know, when you're when you're the mental health issues for me kind of come up when I'm up under really high pressure and yeah. when I'm doing something that's stretching my skills. And I think that's yeah. when I start having like insecurities of like, Oh, do I know what I'm doing? Like, do I know how to do this? Am I qualified? It's very much imposter syndrome. We had spoken about this a little bit on yeah, the panel we did. as well. Yeah. Imposter syndrome has been just huge for me as I've navigated and pivoted my career now into CG. So I, 
There's a lot of things that I do to try and keep myself grounded. It depends on what I'm going through, but if I'm struggling with imposter syndrome, I think some of the things I need to do are be reflective on yeah. what I've done that has gotten me up to this point because it's so easy for me to forget why I got hired. It's so easy yeah. for me to go, oh my God, I'm scared or I'm overwhelmed, but I got hired for a reason. So sometimes it's, it's a, like taking care of my mental health is like, stopping being like what's going on mm -hmm. reminding myself of you know the journey that I've been on being reflective taking breaks grounding myself um, but that's what it looks like and I try and take care of myself but it's hard and it doesn't always happen and sometimes I'm really stressed out and I just have to power through so what's your when you're plugged in what does that look like it's just like sitting in front of screens and then you know essentially I call it playing the piano <laughs> you know uh, is that just for hours on end, essentially? Yeah. Yeah? So I have like a big monitor and then I have my like, you know, my MacBook Pro on the side. I tend to listen to either podcasts or yeah. um, music and I just work. Yeah. I just keep going and then maybe I'll take a break, but that's what it looks like. Were you always like that? Even when you had to show up to a nine to five? Yeah. When I was at a nine to five, um, I used to work for a brand agency. I would... I, I need to be left alone to focus. I need a, I'm one of those people that needs a lot of alone time. I'm probably like a classic introvert. <laughs> when I had a full-time job, I would basically go hide so I could not be distracted and I can actually get my work done. Because when I think the, the higher I went up the food chain in a agency, the more people needed me. Yeah, and the that's a less, tough Yeah, thing. the less time I had to do the work that I needed to do. Yes. I was either in crits, I needed to be in a meeting, project managers would stop by. So I was that type of person where people would be like, oh, where did she go? Or she's in her mini cave doing work. Don't bother Right. Her. That's always been the struggle I find as well, of like being able to be in the tools. And I enjoy being in the tools. And I like using the tools actually as a source of meditation, mm -hmm. uh, but then also being client facing, having to physically show up to the meeting, crits, like you're saying, and also provide that direction to team members that need it. And I, I'm trying to find that balance too, but it's so tough, yeah. so tough. It's really tough. I'm, I'm big into turning off notifications from apps. Yeah. Um, I am big into not feeling like I have to reply to every single Slack message and yeah. email that comes through. I will I would just push that aside so that I can focus. Totally. Yeah. I'd love to hear about your journey into Web3. Like in terms of like artist empowerment. There's something that we talk a lot about here and also, you know, we've talked to like uh had a conversation with Jeff Staple yesterday, you know, mm -hmm. about his uh, journey into Web3 with Stapleverse and also talked to uh, ben and Bobby Hundreds for the um, uh, for the Atom Bomb Squad uh, collection that they dropped. Like, what what? How was your journey into Web three with NFTs on the blockchain? What has that been like for you? And also, what are the pros and cons that you see with emerging into that space? I was generally curious about NFTs. I didn't understand it at all, and I'm not sure if I s understand it still, <laughs> to be quite frank. Totally. Um, the, it all started end of last year. We spoke about this a little bit earlier, but I had joined a digital art collective and they wanted to do a drop with Nifty Gateway. Yeah. And that's the very first time I got a taste of what it's like to drop NFTs and be part of NFT communities on like Twitter and things like that. Um, 
And I think CG fits very well into NFTs. It's yeah. really big. So yeah. I, you know, after doing that, I got approached to do more things with World of Women, with Nouns DAO, things like that. Um, I joined a Web3 women's group. It's called Her House with my friend Alexa. Oh, I got amazing. to meet a lot of women and founders trying to figure out how to utilize the web3 space for their business yeah i think for me with web3 there's still a lot of things that i can't say i understand very well about it but i think the whole goal with me being involved is to monitor the space and then try and figure out how i fit in the space i'm still not sure if i understand how i fit in the space outside of creating nft art or right. creating my CG art and then selling them as NFTs on platforms like Foundation and um, Super Rare and yeah. things like that. So I think the pros of And those are two good ones. They're great. Yeah. I'm on Foundation, not on Super Rare. And I've had a really good experience with Foundation. Mm -hmm. And so I feel, so when it comes to Web3 and NFTs, I think... The, the pros of it are if you're involved or if you're exploring the space, you're you're checking out what's going on in this like new way of seeing your artwork and yeah. new way of selling your artwork. There's a lot of great things about creating NFT art, like royalties. So it's like if uh, you know I sell art and then they sell my art to someone else, I do get some yeah. sort of kickback. And I think that's really great to protect the artist so that they get more value out of their work. Yeah. But as far as other things, you know, there's a lot of talk about things like utility NFTs and, you know, things like that. I think for me, I'm mon I'm just monitoring and I'm kind of just experiencing the space. I'm still not sure how I fit into all of it. So I would encourage anybody who has even a slight interest to start checking it out. Take a look at the marketplaces. Um, take a look at what's going on on the Twitter community. Mm -hmm. And, and Twitter is a very blockchain friendly platform where the algorithm doesn't suppress the content. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's it join in the conversations. Um, cons, I think there's just a lot of unknown. It's unstable. Yeah. Right now, the I think from what I've seen, the NFT art world is quiet at the moment. Yes, it is there very is quiet. There's really not a lot going on. But when it's really going, just yes. take a look at how like brands are doing NFT artwork. Like, I remember seeing Tiffany's doing things, yes. um, Sotheby's, you know, all, all sorts of brands are trying to get involved. So, yeah, I hear like a lot of talk about Web3 as being this completely decentralized future that we're all going to live in. But without the conversation of, hey, it takes Web1 and Web2 in order to even get to Web3. I think right. Web3 is an evolution that also is the totality of how we've existed within this digital space. So uh, I think some of the more uh, evolved thought leaders um, acknowledge that. And yeah, I, I, there, but there definitely isn't here's the overarching goal of where we're going to get. It's like a concept car that, that changes constantly and you're just trying to um, take cues from the different aspirational parts right. of it, right? Right. Um, but for, for NFTs specifically, I think one of the unlocks that I had, actually, you know, our mutual friend Ahmed Klink mm -hmm. from Sunday, he actually got me into NFTs in the beginning of 2021, or I think the end of 2020. Like, it, it, it was a weird time because... If you had been in NFTs for like a week, that was like six months <laughs> in the uh, in the world of NFTs at the time. It was like a, like just two short years ago, and uh, what 
what unlocked it for me was the idea that as digital native artists, right, we're creating these uh, digital platforms, let's say Photoshop, Illustrator, Cinema, After Effects, whatever have you, right, where the output is literally data, like mm -hmm. code, uh, where you're actually placing a value onto the data itself. Because in theory, let's say I create something in Photoshop and then I have printouts of that print, uh, it those printouts are kind of a, a lesser version mm -hmm. uh, than the actual original digital file, you know? So to me, I, I love the idea of placing value on the actual original asset and right. giving it a home, right. you know? Um, you know, uh, even though the blockchain doesn't store data that way, I thought that was like such an interesting idea. I think it's an interesting idea and it's a new way of seeing our artwork and what we create. I, I, I'm not sure. I, there's just, it, it's hard to say where all of this is going. I yeah. think there is still so much value to printed work and physical work and things that are tangible because oh, we live in such a digital space. Um, so I'm just really observing what's going on and, you know, we'll see where it goes. Are you doing any other projects coming up with uh, the NFT community? No, not currently, no. What's your, what are you doing right now that's getting you super excited? Well, I'm currently on, I, I landed an ad campaign project for a tequila brand. So my entire life can is... Can you say what it is? I'm not sure if I can say what it is, actually. Um, I had to sign a lot of contracts for this <laughs> job. <laughs> but for a tequila brand, I am creating rendered bottles in interesting environments. It's very much sort of the work that I do. This is the biggest job that I've taken to date, probably one of the biggest projects of my career, actually. Yeah. And I think- Oh, we talked a little bit about this. We did a little bit on the panel. And I think the, I think the struggle is that being an independent artist, I've taken this all on on my own, mm. which which included everything from negotiations to the back and forth, doing a bid, my you know my approach to things, building all these decks, all of these sorts of stuff. Yeah. But I'm excited for this because this is the biggest project I've taken on. And I think for me, being even approached by this brand to do a campaign for them was a form of validation for me that like my CG career and this pivot that I made yeah. is the right direction. And I know validation is a tricky, tricky thing to focus on. But for me, I felt like I feel more secure in the fact that I'm doing the CG work. Like I'm here, I can negotiate high budgets. So my whole energy soul and yeah. every time is going into this, it's probably going to go on for the next two months. Yeah. But I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what it means for my career um, and what sort of work I'm going to produce. Um, yeah. It's yeah. so funny that you speak about validation because I look at your work and I think like, wow, it's so mature. It also has a point of view. Mm -hmm. It also has like an, an ethereal quality to it that has sophistication uh, that can also transcend the moment, mm -hmm. <laughs> if that makes any sense. There's, it's very, um, it all feels of a part. It's, it's interesting to when it hits my ear that, you know, this is a, uh, uh, it just feels so natural. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's that's one of the things with me where, um, you know, I I love what I what I do. I feel like I've been able to accomplish quite a lot this year, but I've. I still, you know, like I'm human. I still, there's a lot of things that I feel like I don't know when it comes to CG. So it's hard for me to feel like super confident all the time, you know? Uh, are you going to do a lot of motion work 
you think with your CG? Are you going to take it there? Um, so animation is just not one of my strengths, but I'm actively looking for partners that I can work yeah. with to do animation. Um, so that is a goal. I want to do it. It's hard. It's, I have trouble making things move, <laughs> to be honest. I love just like still things that don't move, but I'm trying, I'm trying to get there. Uh, what's your, what's your current support system looking like when it comes to helping you, you know, get through, get through all these like overarching macro goals? Um, I'm in a coaching program, so that's really helpful to have a coach and then to have a community of people that I review my goals with yeah. every month and then the progress on the goals. And then what, what kind of coaching program is that? So I'm in a coaching program um, with Lewis Howes. He has a podcast called The School of Greatness. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And he's like a handball champ, too. Yes. Yeah. Really great guy. Amazing podcast. Amazing interviews. I had been listening for years and he I recently applied changed for the his uh, his uh, one by one cover art yes, for his podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm in his coaching program. It's almost wrapping up, but every month we meet. It's a group of really high performing individuals. They're not creative. They're they're in construction. They're in uh, all sorts of things. They're trying to launch their own products. So yeah. I'm surrounded by people who are really trying to like catapult themselves. Is it all virtual? Yes, it's all virtual. Is it expensive? Yes, it's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Well, it's a tax deduction, I'm sure. It's a tax deduction. I've always been a big believer in investing in myself like a lot yeah. of what i earn goes straight back into me and my work i've yeah. always been like that maybe that's slightly irresponsible but i don't think that's irresponsible at all i think you have to i think the best investment one can make is in themselves mm -hmm. so yeah so i'm in that coaching program it keeps me accountable um so I, and you know working with a coach uh coach trish she really understands everything from achieving your goals, but also health, physical health, mental health, all of those things. So I talk about these things that I might be struggling with and it's great to get support. And then I have really close friends, of course. And these are the people that, you know, if I can talk to if I need a break, if I need support, if I need a hype woman or something. Yeah. Um, and these are the people that I turn to to just like lift me up or maybe give me some inspiration or feedback or things like that. Yeah. I really tap into these community of people that I have around me, both real life friends, but also um, like in the digital space as well. Yeah. Is this all virtual? Like this is all happening there. Mm -hmm. What's your what's your virtual to IRL? percentages right now do you think <laughs> you mean like IRL friends versus like virtual <laughs> yeah. friends <laughs> yeah um I, I think it's pretty 50 50 I have really <laughs> close friends in person but you know I'm gonna be honest I'm I feel like I'm exposing myself a little bit <laughs> ever since I was you know in middle school yeah I've always been very much on the internet so I do have you know so many friends on you know, these digital art collective groups, like on yeah. Discord, even like on Instagram, these people that I can tap into if I want to share my work or even if I have a question on how to do something in yeah. Cinema 4D that I just don't understand. Yeah. 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 Are you good with keeping up with messages, DMs, Slack threads? <laughs> Absolutely threads? not. Okay. Absolutely not. Th that's why I'm asking because I, I have a fair amount of like, you know, digital friends but i'm just so bad with getting back <laughs> to them now yes yeah, so i'm pretty bad at instagram so if anyone dms me and i haven't responded i'm sorry my dms are a little nuts and i'm not <laughs> the best at keeping up with them but i'm much better on things like slack and discord because you can kind of just like jump in i think when yeah. you're on slack a lot of times it's like an ongoing 
you know, conversation. So it's easier for me to just like check in or just be like, Hey, what's going on or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, the DMS. No, I'm, I'm awful with the DMS. Yeah. I'm okay with DMS. I'm actually not that great at Slack. Apologies. If anyone's in an active Slack thread with me, <laughs> I, it's, I feel that on Slack at the point that I entered Slack, I, it's a constant defensive stance, mm-hmm. you know? So you're always on your heels and you always feel like it's either in a state of, where's my thing or can I get that thing or let's negotiate the, the, uh, or let's broker a relationship for this thing, you know? So it's like a very high intensity, um, racetrack, let's say. Yeah, totally. I, I, I don't know. I, I love discord. You can just kind of like pop in just be like, Hey, what's up? How's everyone doing? Or, you know, what's going on or whatever. It's just like so casual and you can just, you know, people respond on their own time and things like that. So, of course, so with CG, it's always this like uphill learning of software and things like that. So I'm a big believer in investing in my hardware and my tools. And I love computers and I love technology. So most recently, I purchased uh, Cintiq. And I'm in the middle of learning ZBrush. I'm trying to sculpt food at the moment because that's the most difficult thing to do in CG. So huh. I'm trying to sculpt like cookies and Reese's peanut butter cups and shit like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's the most recent How does like, that work? Do you just have to hardware. have a lot of reference? To a sculpt? lot of reference yeah. and then understanding how to fake textures to look like food is, is sort of the study that I'm trying to do right now. So... Yeah, I mean, being plugged in, like, I love things like the Cintiq. I love building computers. Like, as I had mentioned when I was younger, my brother was sort of this, like, techie kind of guy. So I learned how to build PCs when I was, like, 10. So the most recent thing I did... That's so surprising to me. I know. A lot of people don't know this about me, but I... I, Unless you maybe follow some of my Instagram stories, I don't always talk about this stuff. Yeah. That's like Henry Cavill. Did you see when Henry Cavill showed, like, him building a PC? Because he's a big, like, gamer. Yeah, but you would, but you that. wouldn't think, and I'm not putting like you know, uh, <laughs> stuff on people, but like I look at Henry Cavill, I'm like, this fucking guy <laughs> like builds PCs and plays Warhammer in his spare time. That's like I just, it's not what I expect. I think that's awesome. Yeah, it's something I do in my spare time, but I'm like, like I said, I like really believe in investing in myself, and I believe in investing in my artistic tools. So like, yeah. the thing that was most exciting for me recently was from this tequila job. I need to render glass, so I was like, I need a way better PC. So yeah. I completely upgraded. I'm running a dual GPU system at the moment. Um, I got this humongous like full size tower. It's almost like is like you know half my size basically. But wow. I spent the weekend into Monday, putting all my parts in, you know, plugging everything in, trying to figure out airflow in the case and all of that stuff. Yeah. And then finally turning it on and like praying to the gods that like it would <laughs> boot up. <laughs> but yeah, smooth install. Everything's great. It renders super fast. Uh, but yeah, a lot of people don't know that about me. Like I really love computers. I love building PCs. I love investing in like How tech and hardware. I don't, I can't say like I upgrade very often to be honest, um, but I slowly kind of do it. So back in 2020, that was the first time I had, I bought a PC in like more than a decade. Like I had been such a big Mac loyalist, yeah. but due to doing CG, right. I, uh, I, I, I bought a PC and then over the years, like every year I, maybe I added more Ram or I replaced the GPU or I upgraded the GPU or something. And then most recently I've been able to take all these parts and then like upgrade the CPU and the motherboard and all that stuff to kind of create this like monster of a computer yeah. so I can do my CG work. Damn. I'm so cu- I want to see what that looks like. That's crazy. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, so uh, I guess for, for all the tools, it's like, is that the thing you're nerdiest about? Like what else are you nerdy about? 
Oh, is it mostly that? It's mostly that. I think that's the nerdiest thing about me. It's just like, I want a really good computer because it helps me create my work. And I enjoy like the whole building part of it and trying to understand how all of these like parts work together and then how it works with the software you're using and all of that. You ever use a render farm? You ever worked with a render farm? I don't work with a render farm unless it's really needed, maybe for right. animation and things like that. But I personally like babysitting my renders like it's really oh, okay. <laughs> so it's like yeah. the way I have my studio's apartment set up is like I have my bed on one side and right at the foot of my bed on the other wall I have my desk with like my monitor on like an ergo stand so what I tend to do is once things are rendering I kind of just like watch it a little <laughs> bit just to make sure nothing explodes and goes on yeah, because of course yeah yeah when you're using a render farm like things can go wrong things can totally go and wrong and then you don't know until you get it back and that's probably yeah. something that's like my biggest fear with projects yeah, yeah. yeah. like uh, you'll see like stuff like it, it happens in movies like where you'll see like some sort of drop frame or something there was this famous frame in um in x-men apocalypse i think mm -hmm. where it was the it was the final end scene um end battle where magneto and apocalypse have teamed up and then there was just like flying shards of metal and debris in the in the world or in the frame and then you just kind of, if you were just scrubbing through, you just see this one frame where it's just completely empty and they're not surrounded by anything. It's like com where uh, just the render completely glitched out. And uh, it just becomes one of those like horror stories of like, ah, if only we paid attention to it. Yeah. So that's why I believe in upgrading my parts. I invest a lot of money into my PCs and yeah. builds just so that I can monitor everything. And I'm not out of place when it comes to doing animations and things like that yeah. where there's, I have no choice but to send it to a render farm. So whatever yeah. I can keep literally within my apartment, I will do that. Gotcha. So that's going to be your weekend? <laughs> Play, playing with the Cintiq? Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know, like uh, me too. Like I'm a I'm a huge nerd. And during the pandemic, I ended up getting really I'm a, I'm exposing myself right now. I ended up getting into Transformers. <laughs> I love Transformers. Oh, really? Yeah. So I started collecting them, um, I, yeah, less than two years. I accumulated like over like 120 Transformers, a lot of inline models, like, but specifically for Siege, Earthrise, and, um, uh, um, oh, what is it? It was the third one of that trilogy, that Netflix trilogy, like kind of like where there were it was uh, getting to the Beast Wars um, mythology. Mm -hmm. And then I'm a bit more into Legacy Evolution now, some Linlight stuff and some Studio Series stuff. I'm one Stunticon away from completing my Minasaur. But I don't wow. know where to put all my shit. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I don't I don't post about it anymore, too. Just like this little personal thing. It's like I just like to pick them up. It feels like I'm playing with a Rubik's Cube. I just want to do a quick... 25 or 30 point conversion just put it back down and just look at it <laughs> i'm obsessed with robots actually i, I didn't talk i should have talked about this earlier but yeah robots are what got me into cg so oh, i don't really? think anybody can find this i hope on the internet but back in the day when i posted <laughs> on DeviantArt, all i would do in cinema 4d was model robots droids and gundams really? yes whoa so, did you ever do gunpla no really okay but just like zoids and things like that like i I would Power model Rangers that fan? stuff. Sorry? Were you a Power Rangers fan? No, it's not a Power Ranger thing. I mean, no, but it's not related to Power Rangers. But yeah, sure, I sure, was sure. like su super into that stuff. And you can actually see that in my work nowadays. I, I do things with cyborg hands quite a bit. Yes, uh, like, yeah, I've been looking at that stuff. Here and there. And yeah, like if, if people can scrub the internet and yeah. find my work from when I was like 15, they're all robots. I love... Your, your cyborg hands remind me of... Um, 
Ralph McQuarrie concept art from Star Wars. It just mm -hmm. has a very, I don't know, uh, um, there's a, a delicacy or a delicateness to the render, but it also feels painterly mm -hmm. in a way. Um, yeah. I love that. Like, I, like a Mars Chronicle type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get told often that it's Soriyama-esque, and I will admit that it is slightly. Oh, I'm yeah. A oh, sure. Yes, yes, yes. fan of Soriyama. In my head, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I love that stuff. And I love making things that are digital have a bit more of this textured painterly quality. I don't... I almost like like when digital work doesn't look digital. Yeah. So that's why I have this, like, kind of gritty there's a grainy bit, like painterly a quality element to it mm -hmm. wait so you were into gundam did you watch all the gundam no, no i mean gundams in the sense where i love the robotic parts of gundam so i yeah. used to just go through the technical like those spec sheets of building them and i'd build eat i'd model all those little itty bitty parts and then i'd try and fuse them together granted back then my 3d skills weren't great <laughs> and it looked kind of funky but i yeah. was obsessed not so much with like this anime and watching the anime. I mean, I did love watching, you know, and reading, you know, all that stuff, but it was more of those spec sheets that I would wow. like find on the internet and I'd try and replicate and model them and then rebuild all of them. Whoa. Wait, you, like models. You would rebuild from the spec sheet. Yeah. Like into a model. That's yeah, crazy. That's how I learned as a kid, like to do 3d. Wow. That's, pretty nerdy but i love that <laughs> no that, that's a, well that's amazing because like when i and i built a couple of gundams like nothing expert level mm. but like maybe like a maybe like a six or seven hour build like really um simple gunpla models and i uh, you know the the spec sheet i look at the spec sheet like okay i'm gonna let me wrap my head around how to even do this um and then to but for mentally speaking like to start from there and then create is like that's a real endeavor that's so interesting did, and uh, did you ever you didn't play with the physical pieces no but, everything i do is like digital and on the computer yeah yeah you ever thought about like what would your work look like in a physical space of course so like i talked about you know investing in hardware my next thing is a 3d printer yeah so interestingly i've been approached by a brand to think about how there, I don't think I can name who uh, who this is, but they want to move into the game space of creating like chessboards and things like that. So yeah. they approached me saying, "Can I create a suite of chess pieces and then rapidly prototype them in 3D?" And I just love this brand, so I said, "I'll do whatever you want. Like yeah. I will buy the 3D printer and I will yeah. rapid prototype." So that is coming next. And chess pieces. Chess pieces. I I also want to do home goods like yeah i don't have any specific vision in mind for this but i want to print out like trays or maybe 3d print like create models of really intricate things that i can turn into like candles like maybe it's it's like a dragon or something weird like that and maybe it's with like i don't know japanese characters it's like wrapped around a japanese character or something like i think about things like that and yeah. can i turn that into like candles or like home goods or things like that so what no specific plans but what are your cultural inspiration points like do you do, is it a lot of fantasy robotics like what, what when you're pulling in from here's my cultural tapestry that i constantly plucked from what would you say that is for you 
cultural tapestry it's a mixture of a lot of things so i'm really inspired by things like japanese woodblock printing the ukiyo-e sort of stuff and then yes i'm i'm really into sort of vintage art coming out of maybe like the 70s or so i can see that pull some of that i can see that i'm influenced by growing up my parents had these like big cd roms of like Japanese singers that they, I think they're called laser discs, maybe. <laughs> and they're like just over throwback. Wait, hold on. Were you being facetious just now? No, I'm dead serious. <laughs> like these like laser discs. And they're they, like the size of a record. They're like humongous. Yeah. And they would like play like, yes. karaoke and shit from it. But like I'd look oh, at the they had, art they on had it. laser disc karaoke? I think it was karaoke. That's awesome. Yeah. And I just look at the retro art and the way they photograph How many tracks would that people. even be? Like I don't on a laser disc? Like yeah, laser disc could only hold like a, a film. Yeah, that's wild. It just yeah, I haven't thought about this in a long time actually. But like those like Japanese retro magazine shoots and the way they would shoot people and then there's like so much heavy grain on it. So yeah. that's what influences me, I think. And then I'm very much influenced by still life photography. I love really good. Uh, sort of like composition and then there's one more thing that i tend to pull a lot it's sort of the still life paintings like dutch yes. master style stuff that's one more thing i pull in so it's all this like random crap that influences yeah. my work oh i could see all of that there's like very much um when you say dutch masters like the the stillness the compositional quality mm -hmm. and like that attention to detail um what Anything from like new pop culture that's exciting you? Like, what are you looking at now, watching now, like that gets you stoked? When it comes to new pop culture, the things that immediately comes to mind for me is I think we've seen this for a while where there's this like chrome drippy kind of like type and it's sort of like gnarly looking and looks kind of like fire and maybe it's influenced by like oh yeah tattoo art from the 90s or something it's like early 2000s post 90s early 2000s yes. post leather matrix i think you just like put it perfectly but i'm really i'm i'm excited by things that this trend coming of the early 2000s just because it's something that i experienced and nostalgia is such a huge part of my work so I see, I see these kids dressing the way I dressed in the 90s, but they like look way cooler than I did. Isn't that weird? It's so weird. They look so cool. And I feel like I did not look as cool as these kids walking around <laughs> in like 90s Jenko pants and things like that, you know? I feel like I have never been allowed to leave the 90s. Really? Yeah. Well, because I mean, I, I went to high school in the 90s. I graduated high school in 1999. Right. And I graduated undergrad in 2000, ooh, 2003. I was a semester late. <laughs> and, uh, and because the, this 24 seven nostalgia cycle that we're in, I've just been seeing these reference points from that time. I'm like, can I ever just exit this time or will I always be <laughs> like stuck and not like mentally, physically? But I mean, like, will I always be in a world that's kind of stuck here? Okay. So to see like the nostalgia of like, like this, uh, post-matrix Guy Fieri nostalgia, right? Like chromed out wild um, tribal tattoo shit, which I'm actually into as well, uh, just because of how um, anti-considered it is. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a bit of my, like, you know, my disruptive mindset too. Like that feels to me like, oh, finally, this, uh, um, where we've exited TLC's ooh on the TLC tip and now we can finally get into fan mail. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's a great reference. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's the stuff from the early 2000s, bringing that back, finding new ways to express it. So it's like feels fresh, but it harkens back to maybe a different time period of my life or that also kind of feels current. That's sort of what's exciting for me. Yeah. Do you think about nostalgia when it comes to your work? Are you actively trying to embrace that? Because you do have a nostalgia, like a zeitgeistal nostalgia quality to your work with all the references that you just said. Yes. Nostalgia is a huge part of my work, especially for personal work. You know, anything I want to create things that I can relate to in a way. So a lot of it is around my identity, things that I saw around the house, um, whether that's condiment things or physical items or art styles. It's really important to me. I work from an emotional space and I want to connect with my work in that kind of way. And there's also a part of me that I struggled a lot being Asian, growing up in a place like Connecticut where I was just like one of three Asians. And I want to create artwork that I think a younger version of myself wanted to see more of in the world. I wanted to see more of myself and the culture that I came from. I think a good example of this is, I'm not sure if you went through this, but as a kid, I wanted like Lunchables so bad, but my parents yeah. would not <laughs> let me eat Lunchables. They were like, that is garbage processed food. In Japan, we eat whole seasonal food or whatever it is. Oh my God. So I always felt kind of shameful. I wanted to be cool and my mom would not let me have Lunchables. I wanted Lunchables because it just all the kids around me had Lunchables, yeah. but then my parents wouldn't get me Lunchables because they were too cheap. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, oh, like Lunchables is a, that's like $6 or something, as opposed to, um, you know, um, leftover tocino and rice. <laughs> yeah. But it's probably a lot healthier to be eating that sort of things, I think, maybe than eating like a processed like cheese and Ritz cracker and like ham or whatever. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, Filipino, well, Filipino food gets like super processed and oily and fried. So for me, I'm like, oh, is it? questionable I don't know what would have been better or not better who knows yeah so I just think about those things because I think I wanted so badly when I was younger to fit in yeah that I didn't I I didn't want to show this like the heritage I had or the fact that my parents cooked with a lot of soy sauce and things like that but now I look at those things and I celebrate it and I want to make it feel current and modern and I guess like cool in a way yeah and help younger generate, you know, help the younger kids feel like what they came from and the things they had in their house and in their childhood should be celebrated and it should be made to look beautiful and something that you want to, I don't know, hang up in your house or whatever. Yeah. Do you get a lot of messages? I know you're talking about the DMs and like being bad at DMs, but do you get a lot of messages about, you know, the work and also the way that I think the API community is receiving your work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get a lot of work. Uh, I get a lot of messages, I mean, about loving the condiments that I chrome out. I have a whole series where I take these like childhood condiments, drinks, snacks, whatever, and I make them cold, like chrome and gold because I just really like doing that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I get a lot of messages where people people say, I love this. This reminds me of childhood, things like that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, let's see. I want to keep going. <laughs> I want to keep going with this conversation. I feel like we just got hot. Good. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, you, you have a little bit of extra time, right? You have like another yeah, 10 yeah, minutes? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, for I'm looking at the Bon Appetit uh, magazine cover that you did. Is all, uh, is all that CG food? Yes, it's all CG food. Really? 
How long did it take you to model that? Because I'm looking at the the avocado with the gold, uh, with the gold <laughs> seat. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and w what what other what challenges did you have with that cover? And also, like, what what are you still trying to learn when it comes to this? Because you can always learn. Well, I mean, the challenge that I had was that cover came in so hot. I literally had two weeks to do that cover, and then three images for the feature well story so i oh, couldn't wow. so the challenge was i had to work really rapidly so there's some things in that in that cover that i had to purchase so the avocado and things like that i had to purchase that model yeah. and use it because there was no time to model yeah. a lot of those elements but you know the glass elements the beakers all that stuff i went in and i modeled it myself and then i did all of the scene set up the lighting the reflective sort of surface that everything um lives on and I think that was such a great project because yeah. it was so fast yes. that I couldn't What's fast? think. Two weeks. So basically, I was checking in with a creative director every two days. So we started out, before I even jumped into 3D, we had to do sketches. Yeah. And then they took it and they moved the sketches around to fit the text layout that they're doing. And then I went into 3D and I started building. So I think in and reality... do you like a collaboration like that? I love collaboration like that. I think when you're working with really talented creative teams, it just makes the work better. I'm a big believer in that. I don't see clients, it depends, but I don't always see clients as like the drag in the work or mm, they make things less strong. I think it's a perspective when it comes to the work. It is. I think it's my responsibility as a creative to take yeah. in sort of what they want and what they're saying and then interpret it in a way that makes the work stronger yes. and not see it as like an, oh, God, they wanted to move this or whatever I, it is. I think that's a POV from someone also that's been on the other side of it, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's that's an evolution because sometimes you'll you'll work with um, a creative who's so ultra talented, but maybe a bit early stage in their career. But then it's hard to. The collaboration isn't as smooth. Of course. Yeah, and you're and you know you're coming in at least from a creative direction level. It's like we're working for, you know, there there are a lot of stakeholders here. Yeah. You know, so uh, it's it's refreshing to hear the how fluid it can all be. I think it has to be fluid. I actually think the sign of an experienced creative is how they can take feedback, digest it, and then repeat it back. You know, like kick it back to you. I think that is the sign of somebody who is experienced, understands their work, understands their creative process. I think it's a, it's a strength to be able to do that. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So last question, what do you hate about the industry right now? And then what would you like to see happen in the industry? What, what, what goodness would you like to have, like to see happen in the industry? In the industry? Yeah. I feel like I have to like sit with this question and like think about it a little bit. Yeah, because you've seen it from so many different sides. I have seen the industry from so many different sides. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about this one thing I'm experiencing right now. But I feel like there's much larger issues that I'm probably not even thinking about. I think right now the one thing I struggle with the most with the industry is there's a lack of transparency on pricing, I think, for me. Oh, yeah, we talked about and, that too. And yeah. budgets and... That's what I struggle with. I wish it was more transparent. I wish there was more of a database. I yeah. of, of like an agent would help with that. An agent would help me with that. But of like creatives, especially with the sort of works that I'm pitching, it's on. It feels like it's on a little bit of a different level. We're working with much higher budgets, and I'm not even sure where to start. Yeah. And then I don't have 
a ton of people I can talk to being like, have you done a project like this? Like, yeah. how did you price it? And I don't want to ever underprice myself, but sometimes I worry yeah. about whether or not that happens. So I just wish it was easier to figure these sorts of things out. Yeah. Um, and what would you like to see change in the industry? Or like, what, what, what do you think is the best part of the industry right now? We just talked about change. The industry. I, I'm trying to think of which angle of the industry. Like, I'm like, a branding and design or, like, CG. I think the best part... I'm going to just do this through the CG lens because yes. this is what's most top of mind for me. Great. I think the best part of the CG industry that I've seen is that it is not as competitive as the graphic design industry. People are so much more open to, especially on the internet, like, <laughs> on Discord... I can go to peop I can go to these Discord groups and be like, I'm I can't figure this out. How do you guys do this? Yeah. Um, what's like what's but the technique? True. What's it the plugins? Like All of that. Community. It is a community. So I yeah. love that. And I love that I can just tap I can reach out and people are willing to help. I didn't feel that way in graphic design. I think graphic design for a lot me of haters. was haters highly judgmental yes very critical and very competitive yeah a lot of pretension it's very pretentious and i think when it comes to yeah that is one thing i really disliked about being a graphic designer i i felt like people didn't understand i think what i struggle with most is sometimes people would see the brand that i built when it's at the end after you've gone through everything with the yeah. client and then they'll be like it sucks like their type <laughs> their their type choices suck like that was such a why would you make that logo with that typeface yeah like the comments on brand new or under construction exactly yeah. they're they're savage they sometimes savage. and it's like you don't understand like all the yeah. client meetings and like you have to work with the client and yeah. you can't always be like i'm gonna use this cool serif typeface for this logo yeah. like something like and it's then, not and then it gets critiqued by by trolls on a design website shout out to brand new but i'm also like a part i think he said this in, in another conversation here i i am kind of obsessed with the idea of also uh, receiving a shit ton of hate on on brand new just just to get an emotional reaction out of people like I love the idea of emotional reaction and also people receiving the work whether it's okay. positive or negative just because that's just a signal like hey you felt it you know um, and I'm not I now look at positive and negative reception as like just a reception that just sits on some sort of continuum because i think meaning yeah. is attributed over time yeah so who gives a fuck if someone likes it from the jump i i would that would be kind of weird if they did yeah i mean i think that's a very healthy way of seeing especially like identity and branding work yeah yeah it's a, bit, a lot of gray area i think so much gray area Kuruko, this has been a, such a dope conversation. <laughs> it's been great. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thank we should catch up more. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. For sure, for sure. Um, I would love for you to tell our listeners where they can find you. Mm -hmm. And also, yeah, anything else that you want to put out there into the universe? Yeah, so follow me on Instagram. That's where I'm active and I, I post up my, my work. So it's Haruko Hayakawa. Um, and follow me and, you know, I post my stories. I show a lot of behind the scenes. If you're curious about 3D modeling, you can see my process, all that sort of stuff. All that good stuff. Awesome. Haruko, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. That was a great conversation with Haruko. Thanks so much for coming through. And also thank you for the listeners to checking us out. As always, you can find the First Generation Burden podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast content. Please rate us and drop a review. It helps the algorithm. Go to firstgenburden.com. One word for all the episodes. On Instagram, we're at firstgenburden. One word. You can find me, your host, Rich2, at rich underscore tu on most social media platforms. 
Thanks to Timothy Simonson for production. Shout out to Gym Class Heroes. Thanks to the Desjin team for their support. Thank you to Eugenia Mello who illustrated our cover art this season. It looks awesome. Thanks to you, the listener. As always, new episode drop on Monday. New episode next week. Be safe, everyone. Bye.